Welcome to Hub and Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub and Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hello, everyone. Welcome to NGI's Hub and Flow podcast. It's Tuesday, June 21st. I'm Chris Lenton. Today, we're lucky to have as our guests two new senior analysts at NGI. Uh, they're both experts in renewable energy. Uh, and so we're going to talk about renewable energy today. Uh, senior energy analyst Shaylon Stock joined NGI in April. She has a master's in statistical modeling from the University of Glasgow and has worked in renewable energy development and renewable energy market forecasting in both the United States and Europe. Welcome, Shaylon. Hi, happy to be here. And happy to have you. And we also have with us Justin Mavis, who's also a senior energy analyst at NGI based in Southern California. Justin joined uh, NGI in April. And prior to NGI, he was at Clean Energy Fuels and most recently at Calpine Energy Solutions. Welcome, Justin. Thank you. Happy to be here. So everyone agrees emissions need to come down. Uh, Climate change is real and governments and companies are setting goals to get to net zero in the next few decades or so. U.S. President Biden wants a green power grid by around or by 2035 and a net zero emissions economy by no later than 2050. So I guess the question is, how do we get to these goals in a way that is both affordable and also ensures a a reliable energy grid? I think Germany is a great example of some of the complications of the energy transition. Uh, Germany is a renewable energy leader, but because of the new geopolitical reality, namely Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, it's actually turning back to coal power to keep the lights on. And we're seeing something very similar in Holland and, and Austria as well. So, Shailen, why don't we start with you? I know you kept a close eye on the earnings calls of energy companies in the first quarter. What kind of trends in renewable energy are you, are you seeing? First of all, uh, we're seeing capital getting poured into the energy transition. And we've got companies like Nextera, which currently has uh, 18,000 megawatts of solar and wind, and they're planning to keep expanding that portfolio. They have a small solar hydrogen project, so they're starting to add hydrogen to their natural gas mix. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got other companies like Centerpoint, which actually is divesting from their fossil fuel uh, infrastructure to reinvest that money into new renewables infrastructure and projects. So seeing lots of capital going in very quickly, both to renewable energy itself, but also into grid scale storage solutions and into infrastructure resilience. Because right now the reality is there are going to be many more extreme weather events due to climate change. Sure. And you also need transmission to get that renewable power from from where it's being developed to the centers of consumption. Exactly. Justin, maybe, maybe you can jump in a bit a bit here. Let's talk about about pricing. Um, we know that because of supply chain issues and inflation and 
sort of soaring demand post-COVID, um, that the inputs of renewable energy are really on the rise. I think prices for lithium-ion batteries are have soared something like 20% in the last year. What are some of the factors driving renewable energy prices and, and how competitive is renewable energy today? Well, right now we're seeing rising development costs and, and market uncertainty driving up these prices, right? And, and solar and wind is still heavily affected by uh, pandemic-driven supply chain challenges. Um, we're seeing high freight costs. Um, all of these are c- causing construction delays, all of which have shaped into like a, a very extremely difficult landscape for renewables in general. Early this month, President Biden um, authorized the use of the uh, Defense Production Act um, in order to accelerate domestic production of clean energy uh, technology in the hopes of alleviating some of these issues, uh, especially in, the, in regards to U.S. solar mm-hmm. projects. Like you said, um, in regards to lithium, we're, we're seeing the battery storage market looking at um, some solutions to adapt to the increasing cost of these raw materials. Um, our very own uh, Matthew Vize, he recently covered lithium uh, in the industry and noted in one of his recent stories that uh, I believe lithium spot prices were reported to be at like $70,000 per ton um, this past May. And he also reported with the lithium being a byproduct of natural gas and oil production, we could potentially see some viable supply brought into the market um, to hopefully alleviate some of these rising costs. On the RNG biogas side, uh, we don't have enough supply to meet demand. Um, generally, uh, Argonne National Lab, they reported uh, for last year um, 230 total operational projects, um, which produced about 74 BCF of mm. RNG. It's a about a 24% year-over-year yeah. increase. But, you know, RNG production has steadily been increasing by 20% annually over the last few years. But when you bring it to scale, uh, I mean, U.S. shale gas production alone was about two and a half BCF a day in 2021. Um, We're seeing. No, I was just going to say, just just to clarify for our listeners, RNG is renewable natural gas. Give us a sense of how big it is in terms of market share. We're talking about 1%, 2%? Right now, it's very small. I mean, we're looking at, again, 74 BCF compared to. All, all, all of our, our natural gas production, um, which is in the hundreds of BCF, right? So it, it's very small and it's growing. The, the, the key is that, you know, the carbon offsets themselves. You know, we're, we're trying to start up this uh, renewable energy revolution. And, you know, we need ample supply to, to meet that demand. Sure. Shailen, sure. let's, let's continue on the theme of natural gas a little bit. Um, what role do you see natural gas playing in the energy transition, both as a sort of baseload alternative you know, to renewable power, but also in terms of RNG, as, as Jocelyn just mentioned, also sort of certified natural gas and you know, blending with hydrogen? How do natural gas companies get involved in, in renewable, renewable energy? So something that I've seen in earnings calls is, again, companies investing in these cleaner sources in renewable natural gas or in a hydrogen mix. And I think what makes renewable natural gas appealing is that the overhaul to infrastructure that would be required for large-scale liquid hydrogen is going to take some time. We can't have Mm. a high hydrogen mix because at that point it would start corroding some of the pipelines. So... We're going to need fuels that can travel in the current infrastructure while those upgrades are happening. And also 
sort of increase that variety of baseload fuels. Uh, for example, uh, the U.S. recently increased natural gas exports to Brazil because Brazil usually uses hydro as their base electricity supply, but with droughts, hydro production is down and they needed that backup. So having a variety, having hydrogen mix, having typical natural gas and having renewable natural gas available gives us that kind of stability. So, you know, we're not seeing a production shortfall or not having enough supply to cover the base load. Perfect. So energy diversification remain, remains the key. But, but let, let's talk a little bit about energy security. Uh, you know, one of the major issues that people bring up time, time and again with the re- renewable energy is that it weakens uh, energy security. But there's also the, the argument that, you know, the, the opposite happens in, in terms of being able to take advantage, advantage of indigenous energy resources. Jocelyn, how can renewables help provide energy security today? And what are some of the challenges? Well, energy security requires both reliable supply and uh, affordable pricing. And as you mentioned, with the recent uh, Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine, this has become a very hot topic. And uh, energy security is more important than ever. Um, We're seeing increased energy consumption from record summer heat in Texas. And it's been reported that wind and solar have been key where both sources have been contributing up to uh, 30%, sometimes 50% of peak demand. Yeah, some of the challenges, I mean, that we're facing um, in regards to our our energy security, they just seem, these aren't new challenges. Um, They they just seem to be magnified. Uh, I mean, of course, we have rising upfront costs. I mean, solar and wind, which are generally the lowest on the cost spectrum. And then we have anaerobic digesters for RNG uh, production, biogas production, which are already in the millions of dollars. These are all shooting shooting up in in price. Um, Shaywan mentioned infrastructure. Right. We have an aging infrastructure or, or a lack of existing infrastructure, um, which was built around gas, coal and, and nuclear plants. Most of the, these transmission and dis- distribution lines, uh, they were built in the 60s. And we have companies like Excel Energy, uh, their Sherco project in the, in the Western Mustangs. It's a large solar farm and they're able to use it was designed to be uh, to utilize the original coal transmission interconnection. Mm-hmm. Um, but not all renewable generation can utilize current lines. But I think one of the most important uh, things in in energy energy security, of course, is, is battery storage. Um, it's essential in regards to solar and wind reliability. I mean, solar can't generate power at night, and you know that wind won't produce when there's no wind, right? And so, uh, stored uh, stored energy can be released on demand as needed. It'll provide clean renewable energy uh, during peak demand or or when when in solar energy is unavailable. Um, so pairing that storage uh, with solar and and wind will offer you know cost synergy. Um, it'll improve you know operational efficiencies and and even we have an opportunity now to reduce storage capital costs. I mean there are investment tax credits available. Mm. Um, yeah, sort of policy is aligning to help uh, build out storage uh, in in the renewable energy segment. Shailon, tell us a little bit about you know, some of the states that are really developing uh, renewable energy, their renewable energy sources, and maybe some of the cool projects that are happening too. So we've got the West, um, California, Oregon, Idaho, Nevada, Utah, New Mexico currently have small geothermal projects, 
but there is geothermal exploration going on in Alaska and Colorado. And those states could absolutely clean up with the geothermal. Like many renewable sources, it's all upfront cost. But once you have your plant running, it's incredibly low cost to keep it going. So those states could suddenly become huge energy exporters if they really lean into developing their geothermal resources. And uh, Chevron is actually investing in geothermal in California, so we could see an uptick there as well. Hmm. And the other states that are poised to really start raking it in are in the Midwest. We've got wind and solar. And what makes wind and solar particularly appealing there is not only do you have open spaces, lots of sunlight, you have wind that's a fairly steady wind flow coming off of the Rockies that gives you some nice wind in the Dakotas, but these are energy forms where you can have multi-use land. So, for example, farmers, ranchers can lease out their land for wind or solar and still keep livestock on the land or keep farming. There are some farms that have actually started raising bees and producing honey and renting out bees for pollination. So it allows people to keep their farm business and have this additional revenue stream. So again, you've got big economic opportunity and a lot of land that has the wind and the nice unobstructed sunlight for expanding those. And that's already a lot of um, renewables coming out of the wind in the Dakotas, solar in Oklahoma and Texas. And uh, we're seeing more investment in there too. Um, Entergy is developing solar in the Southeast and the Southern Midwest. Okay. There's a lot going on, and I guess it depends on the particular you know, energy source of the, the geographic location in terms of what will be developed. Jo- Jostin, there's a lot of debate right now about whether uh, what's happening in, in, in Europe will stall the advance of renewable energy or will um, help to move it along quicker. What, what's your take on that? Right now, it's just going back to the whole energy security um, idea. They, they need power. You know, they're cut off from, um, you know, Russia as a supply source. Um, so alternatives right now are few and far between because of all the issues we've been having um, post like, during this during the pandemic. Trying to convert a lot of uh, renewable power, um, you know, trans- transport that to, to the end user. There isn't a lot of supply, um, which, as you mentioned earlier, um, you know, they've been re- refiring coal and, 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 and other uh, fossil fuel uh, solutions to, to generate more uh, power to meet demand. But I think right now these projects, again, are being stalled. Even if they want wanted to, it's, it's proven to be pretty difficult um, until we find a, a solution to, to provide uh, you know, equipment and um, things of that nature. Got it. 
Um, Shaylon, why don't you tell me, give, give, give me some of your thoughts. Do you think that it's, it's uh, in terms of the, the way that the, the market is developing, do you think it's, it's plausible that we get to these, these, uh, these targets that uh, the Biden administration has set up, you know, the 2035, the 2050? Is the pace of development enough to, to get to those goals? Right now, like I said, there's been a lot of new investment, just even as of this first quarter of 2022. And if we keep up this pace of new investment, new projects going up, we actually may be able to meet those goals. I noticed that a lot of these companies actually have goals that are set for, say, 2025, 2030. So they are clearly thinking ahead and giving themselves some lead time. And again, I think the pressure on fossil fuel prices is really pushing this transition. And another theme that I've seen coming up, not just in earnings calls, but with investors, is that investors are really pushing for a transition because uh, the World Economic Forum had released a report back in 2020 saying that if we don't start making this transition and addressing these environmental issues, it could come back to us at the cost of over $40 trillion. That's you know, economic hit we don't want to take. And so better to invest that money now. Sure, there certainly seems to be a lot of momentum uh, for ESG investors. Jocelyn, I don't know if you want to add anything, any final comments, um, anything that we haven't touched on yet before we wrap up today. Well, there there are a few interesting um, projects coming up. And me being from Southern California, this kind of hits closer to home. Um, I drive, you know, five hours north and, and I'm surrounded by, you know, dairy farms. So um, on the RNG biogas production, um, you know, dairy farms in California apparently aren't required to curb methane emissions. Um, like refuse and waste are. So their total carbon emissions from dairy farms are, are generally lower. Uh, and we see companies like Total and BP um, working with, you know, Clean Energy, whom I used to be a part of. Um, I mean, they're projected to produce about seven, eight million RNG gallons from a few of their projects that they're collaborating with. Um, on closer to California, I mean, we have uh, Southern SoCal Ed, Southern California Edison, um, and they are in their partnership with Amoresco, they had a 535 megawatt uh, grid to scale battery storage mm-hmm. system, um, which will partially be brought online. I believe it's like 300 megawatts um, this August. So it would certainly help with the uh, grid resiliency and reliability um, as SoCal hits uh, its hottest months. Sure. Well, it's a very exciting time in the renewable energy space. Justin, Shailen, I can't wait to hear more from you and, and to continue co- to collaborate with you uh, in the months and years ahead. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having us. Awesome to be here. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly, or bid-week pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today.
We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.